Our scripture reading today is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. This passage is printed on your bulletin in page 11. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And before we read, I'll remind you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate that greeting. Good morning, family. What a wonderful greeting and so appropriate also for our passage this morning. And also greatly appreciate the prayers uh, each week. Uh, Whoever is reading or praying, it's such an encouragement to my heart and soul. And that's uh, when we first started proclamation and we included that in our liturgy, a prayer right before uh, the preaching of the word. That was intentional uh, because we need that. It's a, it's a reminder. It's a weekly reminder that we need the Holy Spirit to fall on us right now to give us insight and understanding of his word. That something supernatural is about to take place. God will speak to his people through his word and that word will not return void. And we acknowledge that by praying and seeking his help and his grace right before we read and we preach the word. So thank you for your prayers and thank you all for those prayers throughout the week. If you have your worship guide, you might notice um, we, we seek to be intentional about everything that we have in our, in our worship guide and our order of worship. But if you look at the inside cover on the back, and we haven't pointed this out too often, but at the very top, there's this heading, Head and Chief Shepherd of Proclamation. And then underneath that is clear, bold, answer to who that is. It is Jesus Christ. He is the head and the chief shepherd of this congregation. Jesus is the one who leads us. He's the one who protects us, who cares for us, who loves us, who saves us. And Jesus is the one that we together follow. He's the one we love. He's the one we serve. He's the one we obey. He is the one that we come to worship, and he's the one that we proclaim. Jesus Christ is indeed the head and the chief shepherd 
of this local church. Underneath that, there's another bold heading in smaller letters, ministers of proclamation. That word ministers is not a synonym for pastors, but rather used as for those who serve or who minister to the needs of this church. And underneath that, you will see who those ministers are. It doesn't say Troy D. Bruin. It doesn't say the elders, although they come later. What it says is every member. Every member is a minister of this local church, a servant to one another. So that means you. You who are members, you're part of that ministry. I was at a recent conference on church health with some of our elders, and one of the things that I thought about or learned from that was that a healthy church, like a healthy body, is one where every member, every part of the body, is working together as God designed. And so if, if we are to be a healthy church, we need 100% of our members using the gifts that God has given them to serve the church, to serve the people of our church family. In Romans chapter 12, the first two verses we saw last week, they provide the foundation for all of the commands that follow. And there will be many throughout chapter 12 and and the next few chapters. And we saw that it is indeed the mercy of God that is both the motivation and the means for us as God's people to offer our very bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Everything that we think or say or do, everything that we love or desire. It's to be presented to God as an offering of thanksgiving, an offering of worship. Well, now we come to verse 3 in this section today, verses 3 through 8, and Paul starts to get specific on what this living sacrifice means, what it involves, what we are actually to do with our bodies. And part of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God is offering them in service to one another or to others. In this section, God commands us to use the gifts that he has given us. And this passage divides neatly into three sections. Verse 3, we have these opening instructions on how to think, what we're to do with our minds. And then verses 4 and 5, we have a lesson about the body of Christ. And then finally, verses 6 through 8, we have the command, use your gifts. In verse 2, we were told to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then now in verse 3, Paul gives us specific instructions for the mind on how we are to think. We might say this is the attitude that we are to have behind all of our Christian service. So verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So first, we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. This is a warning against pride. Pride is indeed a common struggle in the Christian life. And sometimes the temptation or the encouragement to pride can come from outside of ourselves. Sometimes it's other people who are encouraging us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Uh, I can think of this in a a lighthearted way when my son Luke was young and I was 
coaching his little league soccer team and we were playing soccer in the backyard, often he would say to me, Dad, you should play in the World Cup. I was like, thanks, buddy. Appreciate the confidence. I really wish I could do that. So sometimes it comes from outside of us. But more often than that, it comes from within, from our own heart, our own flesh, where we are tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul addresses this problem. And you'll see it all throughout the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4, another uh, letter that Paul's writing to the church, the church at Corinth, and he's warning against arrogance and pride. And he asks the believers, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And he is reminding them at that time, he's reminding us today that every good gift we have comes from God. He's encouraging us to humility, to gratitude. So here in Romans, Paul tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. He's warning against pride. And not only because pride is a wicked sin against God, but also because to think in this way is foolish. It's to live in a fantasy world. It's to base your thinking and then your living on things that are not true. And so Paul says, instead, think with sober judgment. Or we might say, think according to what is true. Learn to think in accordance with reality. And so I ask, well, well, what does God's word, what does our faith teach us about the human condition? What are we to think of ourselves or others? What is true? And at the very foundation is this. We are made in God's image. We are created by God. And so we have, every one of us, we have inherent value and worth. And this is not something that you have to earn. It's not something that you work for or grow into. It is God-given to every person. So every person that you meet, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of what they can do or cannot do, every single person in the world, every person that you meet has God-given value. They are worthy of your respect, of your love, of your kindness. You and every other person has been made by God, uniquely formed and fashioned in his image and for his glory. That is part of what it means to think of yourself with sober judgment. You've been created in the image of God. Well, it's also to recognize that sin has marred the image of God in man. We often will say that sin is anything that we think or say or do that does not please God. We could also say that sin is living in a way that does not glorify God, that does not represent his image in truth. And Paul has told us in this letter that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this this reality, our sin our failure to image God in truth, it has not decreased our value in God's eyes. It has separated us from the holy God, but it hasn't decreased our value. What it has done, it has made us all needy. It's made us all weak. In fact, it has made us all untrustworthy. We're now fragile. We're now headed for the grave. We're now selfish. But the good news is, and here's another way to think about yourself And with sober judgment, the good news is Jesus reconciles us to God. 
He redeems us, he rescues us, and he restores his image in us. Jesus is, we're told that he's making all things new. And part of what he is making new is you and me, all of his people remade in his image once again. Now to think with sober judgment is to think in accordance with reality. So it is to acknowledge, first and foremost, the image of God in every person, including yourself. To recognize the goodness of God's creation. But it's also to acknowledge the need in every person, including yourself. You need Jesus. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to be reconciled to God. And you can only be made whole through Jesus. So this is to acknowledge the need that everyone has, including yourself, for the grace of God that is found only in Jesus Christ. So to think with sober judgment is to realize, I am not God's greatest gift to mankind. And when I say that, I'm not talking about just myself, but about you. You say this to yourself. I am not God's greatest gift to mankind. Jesus is. God does not need me. I need him. And so Paul says that we are to think about ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this is less likely about different levels of faith that God may have given each one of us. And it's more about the fact that all Christians, all of God's people, have indeed been given their saving faith in Jesus Christ by God. And that is how you are to measure yourself. Based on what God has given you, what God has done. So you're to think of yourself, and what a blessing this is. You're to think of yourself in relation to who God is and what he has done for you in Christ the promises that he has made, not in relation to what you can do or what you have done or what you will do, not focused on your weaknesses, your shortcomings, your failures, your sins, the awful things that you may have done or the awful things that may have been done to you. That's not how you're to think about yourself. You're you're not to focus on your abilities, your accomplishments, your talents, not on the best things about yourself or the worst things about yourself. But instead, knowing that you've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And knowing that this faith is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. This then leads you to think about yourself with a humble confidence, a peace, an assurance. Because now you know that your value, that your worth, that your usefulness, that your design comes from God, almighty God. It doesn't come from within, from yourself. It doesn't come from what others say to you. Often those can be very hurtful lies that can affect you for years. And what we're saying today is listen to what God says, what he has done. Your, Your value comes from him and now God's spirit lives in you and you are part of God's plan. So, don't think more of yourself, but also don't think less of yourself. Sometimes we think more of ourselves. We might be tempted to think, well, I could fill that role way better than that person. 
I could do a job way better than somebody else. They need me. I deserve the honor and respect, and they're not giving it to me. Or we can think the other way. I'm no good. I can't help anyone. I have no skills. I've, I've done way too many bad things, or I have suffered way too much. But to think with sober judgment means that you do not think more of yourself. You don't think less of yourself, but you begin to think of yourself less. That is, less often. This is often called the, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And one sign that you're starting to grow in that, this, this God-given humility, is you begin to focus more on others. You're able to give your full attention to other people, to serve them. And this leads us to our second section in this passage, verses 4 and 5, this lesson on the body of Christ. Paul writes, For as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So here we have unity in diversity. We are different, and yet we are united. We are one. Yes, we have different functions. We have different gifts, just like members of our physical body. Paul expresses this beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to how he writes this. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So think about that. If some of you are thinking, I'm a weaker part. There, that I have nothing to offer to the church. There's nothing that I can do. God says to you, you are indispensable. The church cannot operate apart from you. And later he says, if one member of the body suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What a glorious truth this is for us. So as we think about that, if, if you could ask yourself, in the body of Christ, what are you? Are you a foot? Are you a hand? Are you an ear? A nose? An eye? Are you the head? What are you? You know, you don't get to choose. And you know what? As you grow in your understanding of this, you don't care. You don't care. What function you serve doesn't really matter. And it's not up to you. What matters is that God is glorified. And God is the one who designs and builds his church. And thanks be to God that his design includes you. Amen. You think, I don't care what God gives me to do. I am just so glad 
that he brought me into his family. Thanks be to God, his design has included you. He gave his own son, Jesus, to graft you in. But now, God has gifted you. He's made you the way you are. So that by his spirit working in and through you, he will continue to build his church. He will grow his people. He will bless others through you. This is amazing. You've been blessed to be a blessing. And if you don't use the gift that God has given you to serve the church, the church will not be healthy. The church will miss the blessing that God designed to flow through you. So what you do, brothers and sisters, the gift that you use, that doesn't matter as much as serving God however he chooses. Wherever he has placed you for his purposes, for his glory, and love for him and for the benefit of others. Beloved, we are not our own. Now you hear me say that all the time. And we confess that in one of our common confessions of faith. But it's, we, we're not our own. But it's not just that we belong to God. Yes, we belong to Christ. And we belong to one another. We belong to one another in the church. We are one body in Christ. We have many members with a variety of different gifts. We have different roles. We have different functions. We have different callings. We have different work to do. But we are one body in Christ. And individually, each member, every one of us, from the oldest to the youngest... Remember, there's no junior Holy Spirit. When you come to know Christ, it's the full Holy Spirit. From the oldest to the youngest, from the strongest to the weakest, we are members one of another. So when I say all are needed, that means all, without exception. Whether you're five years old or 95 years old, all are needed. So we come to the third section here, verses 6 through 8. This is the command. And it's very simple. It's very straightforward. Use your gifts. Fulfill the role that God has given you. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So I'll say it again along with Paul. Beloved, you have a gift from God. Or you have gifts from God. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given To us. So God's word makes it clear. God, by his grace, has indeed given you a gift or gifts to serve his body. And these gifts are to be used in a particular way. Here in Romans 12, Paul gives us a few examples of the gifts. And the list that he gives us is not exhaustive. It's not every gift that he has to give. Uh, We know this... uh, for, I'd say for two different reasons at least. One, there are other lists in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 are two other places you can find them that have other gifts listed. So it's not an exhaustive list. But I also think that Paul's point here is not on these individual gifts, but more on how we are to use the gifts that God has given us. So whatever gift God has given you, you're to use it as God designed in a Christ-like way in a God-glorifying way for the glory of God and for the good of others. 
Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So same command, same idea. And then he, he also describes the manner in which we're to use these gifts. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You know, you, you hear these instructions and how you are to use your gift. And I'm not sure what your response is, but one of my responses, this just is another way of showing me my ongoing daily need for God's grace. I am to serve, I'm to minister like Christ. I can't do that in my own strength. Our human limitations, our weaknesses, our sin makes it impossible for us. So we must serve in the strength that God himself supplies. Beloved, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But the good news is God does it all and he deserves all the glory. Think of it. God gives you the faith that you need to trust him, to make you his child. He makes you alive when you were dead. You could do nothing to bring yourself into his family, so God makes you alive and gives you faith. Then he gives you gifts to serve his body. You don't have to develop that strength on your own. He gives you a gift to serve his body. He then gives you the strength you need to use those gifts in a way that glorifies him and blesses others. So we are saved by faith. We live by faith. We exercise our gifts by faith. And this faith in all of its aspects is a gift from God. Thanks be to God. He does it all. He deserves all the glory. He does not leave us without help. Now you might say today, well... Pastor, I'd love to use my gift. I just don't know what it is. Well, how do you determine your gifts? That's a whole other sermon series or a Sunday school. But let me just give you a few simple pointers. First of all, we generally come to know what our gifts is, what they are, as we serve. As you get involved in active service. As you get experience. So you might ask, where is there a need? And you begin to serve. And God begins to clarify Yep, that's it. Nope, that's not it. You begin to learn. So we, we learn as we get involved. And maybe you just ask yourself, what do I enjoy? Uh, what, what's a burden on my heart? What do I notice? What are the needs that you see or the problems that you see and you feel burdened by? You might ask, what am I good at? How has God designed and made me? And then maybe you'll ask others also, not just yourself, but ask people who know you. What do they see? How have they, how have they been helped by you? Do they see the same things that you are seeing? And of course, you can study the lists in God's word, as I mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, here in Romans chapter 12. You know, Paul began this section, he said that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. One way that we think more highly of ourselves is we say to ourselves, I don't need others. I don't need others. That's thinking too highly of yourself. One way that we think too lowly of ourselves is when we say to ourselves, others don't need me. Others don't need me. The truth is, I need you, and you need me. And when I say that, it's not a statement about your personal value or, or my personal value, what, what we as individuals bring to the table, what we can contribute because we're so great or we're so needed, it's more a statement about God's design 
and God's gracious and generous provision. This is the way that Jesus, who is the head and the chief shepherd of his church, including this local church, this is the way that Jesus loves and cares for and provides for his body. It's his love toward us. I need you and you need me. We need one another because we all need Jesus. Not because of you and your flesh, who you are, what you do, but because of God's grace given you and God's grace in you. So really, I need Christ in you. And you need Christ in me. So you need elders to shepherd you. You need deacons to serve you. You need brothers and sisters in the church to teach you, to exhort you, to give to meet your needs, to show you mercy and compassion, to give you wise counsel, to love and serve you. And many other ways you need the people in this room and those who, for whatever reason, haven't been able to join us in person today. The local body of Christ. These are the people that God has given to you, that you are to minister to, and they are to minister to you. You know, we want to grow as a healthy church, so pray for us, pray for your elders as we think about that, as we pursue ways to meet that goal. But one metric will be every member ministry, 100% participation. Every member using their God-given gifts as God designed. Now, I don't know what our percent is right now, but it's not 100. But it needs to be. If we are to be the healthy church God designed, it needs to be 100%. And this is not just your pastor telling you what to do. It's not just Troy saying, hey, we have holes, we have needs to fill. We need more sound volunteers. We need more live stream volunteers. We need five or six turkeys cooked because we want a good meal, not something else. We always need nursery workers. We need head ushers. We need people to serve on the safety team. And the list goes on and on and on and on. This is not just or even primarily about what we need. Beloved, this is God's command. God's word says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to you, let us use them. It's not hard to understand. It's very simple. It's very clear. But listen, if you don't use your gifts to serve others, you deprive them of God's blessing. Not only that, you actually deprive yourself of God's blessing. And in fact, you dishonor and you disobey God. Indeed, you sin. To not use your gifts as God designed, as he commanded, is a sin of omission. You're not doing what God has commanded. Now, how do God's people, how do Christians respond to sin? We proclaim and we believe the gospel, right? So when your pastor says that you sin, that he sins, this is not a surprise to us. We can be honest about our sin. We can admit it. And I am not here to condemn you this morning. Romans 8.1 reminds us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, beloved. What, when we are made aware of our sin, in a sense, this is an opportunity for us to thank God. Amen. 
So right this very moment, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your lack of service, what's the Holy Spirit aiming to do? He's aiming to lead you right now in this very moment to the cross of Jesus Christ. Not to condemnation, but so that your conscience can be cleansed. He wants to lead you to repentance and forgiveness, to offer you the blood of Christ, to cleanse you from your sin, and then strengthen you to a renewed obedience. So when it comes to every member ministry, I don't know what our percentage is, but I would absolutely expect that that percentage would increase after today's sermon. Not be- and listen, I'm serious here. Not because of who I am. Not at all. But because this is God speaking to you, his people, through his word. Amen. And after God's people hear God speak to them through his word, they respond with repentance and faith and obedience. There's a way in which this is the greatest job in the world because it's not up to me to make it happen. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesus, that you're going to work in your sheep and they're going to follow you today. Beloved, you're hearing his voice and you are going to follow and Jesus is going to be glorified and his church will be edified. Now, if you're coming only to serve, uh, sorry, if you're coming only to be served and not to serve, then you cannot be following Jesus in a healthy way. And we all suffer for it. As I thought about this, I thought there are two common reasons for a lack of service. There may be more, but there are at least two common reasons that every person here struggles with at various times. And the response to one of those reasons is compassion and patience. And the response to the other is rebuke and exhortation. And sometimes those reasons mix together, so it's not always clear. We're complicated people. But one of those reasons is suffering. There are times in our life when the suffering is so heavy that we just feel like we cannot serve. And maybe we can't for that time. And if that's what you're going through right now, I do not want to lay a weight on your back, a heavy burden on your back. We want to extend to you the compassion of your Savior, Jesus Christ. He will come to comfort you and strengthen you and bind up your wounds. And part of the way he does that is through the rest of the body, using their gifts to come alongside you to love you and care for you. So that might be what you need most right now. At the same time, I can also say, with humility and hopefully you hear the compassion of Jesus in his word, that sometimes one of the ways that he brings you through that suffering is as you do use the gifts God has given you to serve others. You take yourself off your own pain and need and you begin to see the needs and the pains of others and God uses you to bless them. So sometimes it's through suffering that we don't serve and other times it's simply through sin. Maybe we don't believe God. God says I have a gift, but God's just wrong. Now we wouldn't say it, that bluntly, but the way that we act, that's what we're saying we believe. Or maybe we're simply selfish or lazy or angry or our priorities are not in the line with God's word. And if that's the case for us, then what we need, God says in his word, is a rebuke. We need to repent and renew our zeal and our effort in obedience. You know, our Savior Jesus Christ, he's not only the head and chief shepherd of this church, but he's also the greatest servant. And he gives us a great and excellent lesson in service in Mark chapter 10. 
Remember James and John, two disciples. Hey, Jesus, we want to be your right-hand men. We want the seat of exalted honor. We want to be right next to you. And the other disciples hear about this request, and they're mad. Why are they mad? Because they all want the same thing. They're like, wait a minute, I wanted to ask for that. You know, they all are thinking more highly of themselves than they ought. And so Jesus corrects them. He says, listen, guys, those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. You're starting to think like people who don't know me. And so what does he say? But it shall not be so among you. Among who? Among those who know and follow Jesus. Those who through the sacrificial life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ have been predestined and called and justified and glorified. How is it to be among those? Those people who have been given faith by God and now we're adopted into his family. We are made members of his one body. Jesus says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Why? For even the Son of Man. And that's the title Jesus is using. You may know it's from Daniel chapter 7. God's king who was told to him, to this one, the Son of Man, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. So Jesus is saying, for even this one, the Son of Man, to whom every knee will bow, to whom everyone owes allegiance and obedience, for even this one, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So beloved, when you are made the people of God, through the sacrificial death and service of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man... You are not made to live your life or to join a local body of Christ or to attend gathered worship just to get gospel ministry, just to be served. But you are made to give gospel ministry, to serve others. So don't come, don't live just to be served, but to serve. If you're living, if you're coming only to be served and not to serve, You're not following Jesus as he designed. You're not following Jesus in a healthy way. And you're not truly representing the image of God in you, not being conformed to the image of his son. Every child of God has a gift. And our gifts are different. And that means that you, every one of you who belongs to Christ, you are needed in his body. There are people that you can help that you can love, that you can serve in ways that I cannot, in ways that others cannot. There are ways that you can do this that no one but you can. You know, I truly thank God for the Proclamation Church family. You are a family. I thank him for every member. I thank him for you. I believe that most of you are indeed using your gifts to serve and build up the body. And many of you are doing that in ways that no one sees. You're doing it humbly. You're doing it faithfully. You're doing it for the glory of God by the strength that God supplies. Amen. Glory and thanks be to God and thanks be to you. You're doing that. I do believe that we are indeed a healthy church in many ways. And we want to continue and grow in that health. 
to get healthier and healthier every day until Jesus comes for us. And we experience the true health and shalom that we will only have when we see him, the great physician, the savior of the world face to face. So as we're waiting for that day, we're striving towards health. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, this is what we want to see happen here among us. We want to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's you. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen? May God work in us and each one of you what is pleasing in his sight for his glory and for our good. Amen.